Uh, g'day, my name is Adam Draycott, and you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. It's great joy uh, to share this time with you today. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 23rd of July, 2023, and our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 47. In your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Well, let's enter into a time of praise uh, as we worship God and uh, declare the wonders of his love in song.
Lord, give your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, we enter into the ministry of God's word. In a moment, Nathan is going to come forward and, and read the Bible from us from Acts chapter 25, beginning at verse 13 through the end of chapter 26. Uh, if you'd like to listen to Nathan read that, uh, you're absolutely free and welcome. Uh, for others who might be uh, doing this in church or elsewhere, can I commend the Bible readings as found in our bulletin? Uh, Acts 25, verses 23 to 26, verse 3. Acts 26, verses 9 to 23. And Psalm 127. Of course, as I preach, we continue our series in the book of Acts. And I'll be preaching uh, pretty much through chapters 23, 24, 25, 26. It's another big sweep. Do you have time now to pause? and to reflect on God's Word, to read it, absorb it, that would be a great help as we come to the preaching of God's Word. The reading today comes from the book of Acts. We're starting at verse 13 of chapter 25 and going through to the end of chapter 26. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it's not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they've faced their accusers and have an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I didn't delay the case but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they didn't charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. 
but when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you'll hear him. The next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found that he'd done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I've nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I've brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner to, on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now, it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night, King Agrippa. It's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put, put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?
it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man's not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. My Father God, we just ask that you help us to use this time well, that we'd see the glory and wonder of your Son Jesus, that you lead us in the way of repentance and faith, that you'd be growing us in Christ, and that you'd be glorified. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Have you ever been involved in a court trial? Now, I appeared as a witness for the prosecution once, and it was very intimidating. Imagine being uh, the defendant. <laughs> no thanks. Uh, during the week, I called up a retired police prosecutor. 
He's a lovely man. And we talked about his job and how he would have to outline the charges and get the rules of evidence correct and make his case. Our text today, we're covering a big sweep, as I said. Uh, it has all the hallmarks of a courtroom drama. And as we read it, maybe we ask, what will the verdict be? Will Paul be condemned? Uh, last week, Jerusalem was action central. Paul gave his testimony to the mob and then to the Sanhedrin and there were riots. And amidst the drama, there's a Roman commander. He's part of the action. And his basic question threads the text, I think. In chapter 22, verse 24, way back there, he says, Why? Why are people shouting at him, that Paul, like this? Why is their reaction so volatile? Uh, safe passage is then arranged for Paul to Caesarea, and a letter is written to Governor Felix. You can see it there in chapter 23, verse 26. Claudius Lysias, that's the commander, to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man, that's Paul, was seized by the Jews and they're about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him. For I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. Uh, I wanted to know why they were accusing him. There it is again. So I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. Now, why are we in Caesarea? Now, Caesarea is the place from where Rome governs the region. It dispenses justice from there and does its administration. Plus, it's beautiful. I mean, it's on the Mediterranean. Uh, it's a beautiful spot. I mean, do you see the pictures? You know, what did the Romans ever do for us? Medicine, irrigation, health, roads, cheese. Paul is held under guard at Romans. Uh, Paul is held under guard at Herod's palace. It is literally a waterfront in the ocean. There's a picture. Paul stands three times before three rulers in this text. Uh, Governor Felix, Governor Festus, and then both Festus and Agrippa II. Let's talk about Felix briefly. He is one of the worst Roman officials ever. Lust, greed, cruelty. He is murderous. He brought great instability and conflict to the region. He was so bad, Nero sacked him in 59 AD and gave the job to Festus. Meet Festus. Not a lot is said about him, but he is not to be confused with Uncle Festa from the Adams family. Don't do that. Uh, he only lasted two years because he died. Uh, but compared to Felix, he was supposed to be a decent kind of bloke. Now, what does Felix and Festus have in common? They both want to do the Jews a favour. You see that in chapter 24, verse 27 and 25, verse 9. And so here is the political backdrop. Paul represents some kind of bargaining power. He's a card to be played. He's a political pawn to be manoeuvred. Rome, sure, they want to go, why? 
Jews want him dead. They want to rid the earth of him. This is still true. So look at chapter 24, verse 1. Ananias is back, the high priest. He's traveled with leaders and their best lawyer, Tertullus. Some name. I. Why am I imagining this bloke wearing a turtleneck? I don't, I, I don't know. A skivvy. Uh, notice they're serious. Notice they're also sycophants. Uh, look at chapter 24, verse 2. Tertullus, or Tertullus, okay, presented his case before Felix. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Pfft, that is a laugh out loud moment right there. Uh, if you're reading this for the first, as the original reader, you're going you're gonna to vomit. Everywhere, in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this truth with profound gratitude. Blah. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Absolute rot, more rot follows. Verse 5, we have found this man to be a troublemaker. They're calling him a pest. He's stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. Uh, this is a double allegation, right? Third, one, Paul has spoken or acted against Moses and the law and the temple. Two, Paul has spoken and acted against Caesar by creating disturbances. Even two years later, chapter 25, verse 3, they're still scheming to ambush and kill the bloke. In chapter 25, verse 15, they want him condemned. In chapter 25, verse 24, four, read it. 25, verse 24, Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting uh, that he ought not to live any longer. <laughs> Here is their verdict. Paul is to be condemned. Death to Paul. Paul's up against the tradition and history of Jerusalem. Paul is also up against the conquest, the power, the organisation of Rome, the muscle. And either one is formidable. And so as the reader, we're going to go, well, this is impossible. Paul is no chance. And so we are then to wonder, I think, if Paul is a goner, if he's condemned, what about the gospel to Rome and to the ends of the earth? How does Paul defend himself? Let's talk about that. Two ways. Remember the charges against Caesar and against the law and Moses? Well, this is his defense. First, he says, I'm a loyal Roman citizen. Secondly, he's going to say, I'm loyal to Moses, the law, and I worship Israel's God. So what are we talking about? Before Felix, he says, I'm no insurgent. I've not disturbed the peace. Right? So that's the Caesar tick. And then in chapter 24, verse 14, he says, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. See? And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. In other words, Paul is saying, the gospel I am preaching is not a departure 
It is a continuation of God's promises. It's an outworking of God's promises. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment. Before Festus, Paul says, I'm all about loyalty to Caesar. That's his strategy. And so verse 8 of chapter 25, Paul makes his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Verse 10, I now stand before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done anything wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. (laughs) I appeal to Caesar. Now, Romans 13, eat your heart out. It's worth a read. But we move on. If Paul was Felix's pawn, if Paul was the pawn of Festus, Whose pawn is he now? He is Caesar's. You are correct. This is a masterstroke. Paul has made himself out of bounds for everyone by appealing to Caesar. And so to Caesar you appeal, to Caesar you will go. And we might go, what is he thinking? Now it's very clever. Which is why Festus now needs something decent to write. What am I going to write to the boss? Enter Agrippa II. Now he's a vassal king of Judea. This king is the great grandson of Herod the Great. He's a valued friend of Rome. He knows about the Jews. He's the curator of the temple and someone in charge of appointing high priests in Jerusalem. So he is somebody. By the way, his dad was eaten by worms in chapter 12, which was great fun. And his sisters, Bernice and Drusilla, are mentioned in the story. He's a little too... Don't ask me about his relationship with Bernice. We move on. Agrippa is like an expert witness. Festus debriefs Agrippa. Chapter 25, verse 18. Flick there. And he says, uh, as a heads up, When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. Aha! Chapter 25, verse 26. Festus says to Agrippa, I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. And here's the problem. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa. See, I need help. So that as to as a result of this investigation, I might have something to write. They just want to write a letter that means something. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. My, my, my police mate, he would agree. That is unreasonable. Of course it is. And so... Help me write a letter so I don't sound like an idiot wasting Caesar's time. That's the go. Now, how does Paul defend himself? Well, he he goes on the charge, can I say. So chapter 12, uh, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 26, verse 6 is striking. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors 
that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Here is the crux of the matter. Here is why Paul is in chains and we've already had a clue. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. And Paul has been saying, this is not new. This is not innovative. This hope is Israel's hope. It's the hope of the Messiah. It's the hope of the resurrection. It's the hope of Jesus, the one who has Paul's complete and unwavering allegiance truly. It's Jesus. If God is truly God, Paul is saying, there is no limit. There is no constraint. There is nothing my God cannot do. He'll even speak through a condemned man in chains before these Gentile rulers. Look at chapter 26, verse 22, the second part. Paul's saying, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. There's nothing new here. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead, see, that's very important, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 61 and 62 and 63. And this is the fulfillment of Moses and the prophets. See, how does Paul keep going amidst all these trials and setbacks that he has faced? How does he keep going? God has kept his promises. God is faithful. Look at the resurrection of Christ. Christ is risen. And so Paul keeps going and he keeps testifying because Jesus is alive. Do you believe it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul will write about the resurrection of Christ. It says, because because of the resurrection, it keeps our preaching from being useless. The resurrection of Christ keeps our faith from being futile. The resurrection of Jesus means that we are not dead in our sins. It means that we're not wasting our time. That we're not to be pitied. Because of the resurrection, we know there is life beyond this earthly existence. We can know there is more. And so whatever we do for the Lord then, the Lord who is risen, is never in vain. Let me say that again. As Christians, whatever we do for the Lord is not in vain. And so Paul urges his readers to stand firm and to give themselves fully to Christ's work. And for Paul, it's the ministry of testifying, bearing witness which makes people aware of this wonderful future, this life to come. It's never empty then. It's never vain or pointless, this ministry of testifying. It also means there's no contending, right? Because the Lord's will is irresistible. 
How do I know that? Well, chapter 26, verse 14. The Lord said, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, Paul. And we know what a goad is. It's a cattle prod, right? And to kick against the goads is to refuse direction. Difficult. It's kind of like walking my dogs. My will is irresistible to them. And Jesus saying, no point being resistant to my will for you. Because he's risen. He's king. And this is the conviction that gives Paul confidence and a persistent focus in every arena, wherever he speaks. It doesn't matter who. And it's why Paul sounds less like a defendant. He sounds like the the prosecutor here, doesn't he? He makes it sound like Agrippa and Festus and Felix before him. They're the ones on trial, not Paul. And of course, we know that that's true. Friends, the words of Jesus is alive, those words, they're a key part of our testimony and our story. If Jesus is alive, it changes everything, including us. It changes our decisions. It changes the very trajectory of our life it is the key to our story as it is key in paul's story and so the encouragement is to stand firm and tell people who you are tell people who you are stand firm and do that tell people that you're a christian i mean you're not telling people that you're a good person they might hear that that's not what you're saying. Be clear about what we're saying. It's not Paul's story either. I mean, he's... He, see Paul actually stand trial before Jesus. Here is the ruler he's got to give an account to. See Jesus prosecute him. That's chapter 26. See Paul, he knows his guilt. And he admits his desperate need before the Lord. And he confesses that, doesn't he? But he also says, yeah, but you know, the Saviour found me and he saved me. And he turns our eyes from the darkness to light. He turns us from the power of Satan to the power of the Almighty God. And now I am his, Paul says, I'm forgiven. Why? Because Jesus is risen. Friends, is that not also our story? Our testimony must be a life that is changed testimony because Jesus is risen. All right, what conclusions do they draw about Paul? Well, the commander, we've already seen seen in verse chapter 23, verse 29, there's no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. Festus says in 25, 25, I found that he's done nothing deserving of death. And then Agrippa and Festus get their heads together. Chapter 26, verse 31 they began saying to one another, this man is not, any, uh, is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. No kidding. In fact, in verse 32 of 26, Agrippa says to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. How is this man so often declared innocent? How is he kept in prison and transferred under guard to Rome in chains? How does that work? Have we seen this before? Is your memory triggered again? Of course it is. You already know in Luke 23, 
The Roman governor Pilate heard charges from the Jews that Jesus claimed to be king contrary to Caesar, right? And Pilate said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. That's what he said. Before Herod, Jesus is accused and gives no answer. And then he appears before Pilate again. And Pilate says, I've examined him in your presence. I found no basis for your charge against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Uh, three affirmations of innocence. Yet Jesus is treated as guilty. Pilate surrendered Jesus to their will. And Jesus is taken away and crucified. And we go, well, what is God doing? Well, in one, he brings about human redemption through the death of his son. This is what God does for us. But here, we know Paul must testify in Rome that God is ensuring this message of redemption goes to Rome under guard and despite the best efforts of its opponents. Oh, the irony. Paul could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But being free is not Paul's plan. Preaching the gospel in Rome is his plan. Which means, ironically, that Paul is not the pawn. Caesar is. Isn't that incredible? Such is the power of God. See, the gospel is not chained. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul writes, Remember Jesus raised from the dead. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. So I endure everything, and he did. God's word can be no more chained than God himself. Do you know that? And it doesn't matter what happens to us. It will always go out. It will always achieve its purpose. God's word will not be isolated or quarantined or restricted or censured. I mean, we closed our doors here for six months, but God's word still went out. We were never, ever shut out from God. God's word is not chained. So we do whatever it takes. What else is the Lord doing? He's keeping his promise from chapter 9. The Lord said, This man, that's Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. God's chosen instrument is seemingly a condemned man. Sound like anyone else you know? Jesus was condemned so that we need never be little wonder the apostle paul can write the words of romans chapter 8 verse 1 therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus because through christ jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death brothers and sisters we are not condemned and God's word is not chained. And so let us go out as God's spirit empowered witnesses.
and bear witness to him and the wonder of the gospel and the great love of God himself in Christ Jesus. Amen. sins and griefs to This is a time where you enter uh, into prayer. There will, will be a blue screen offered uh, by way of prayer points uh, to help you uh, uh, to think about things to pray about. Our AGM is next week. Please be praying uh, for a good meeting they always are. It's a great time of thanksgiving for us as we read reports and return thanks to God for his work among us. So please be praying about that. Please be praying about the appointment of leaders uh, 
as wardens and parish councillors and our many other needs as well. We need wisdom, uh, we need grace, and we need patience. And we need God to bless uh, this work uh, here in Inverell, as well as wherever you are also. Please take a moment to spend time in prayer. Let me close with the words of the blessing from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Surely 